So if you're new with us, you're in for a treat as we start this new series. I'm excited to walk through the book of Acts with you this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and I'm going to pray before we dive in. Uh, But if you are new, I want to encourage you to get connected. Corinne told you on the video this morning that you can grab that Connect card, take it out to Connection Central. If you're looking for a next step, we believe that we move from worship into community. And so maybe you need to find a small group, a home community to be part of. Maybe you've got a class at 930 you can attend or a men's or women's thing during the week. Just find a way to get connected and we would love to help. So reach out to us and we would love to help you get connected. Well, let me dive in. This is Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and then we'll talk about the book of Acts this morning. The book of Acts was written by the apostle Luke to a man named Theophilus. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Let me pray for us as we dive in this morning. Father, we praise you this morning for an opportunity to come in contact with your word. Like we sang in that last song, your your word changes us. It never returns void. It brings life, vitality. It brings freedom. So we thank you for a moment that you've given us as a community to sit before your word, and we pray that you would change us here. We thank you for this chance to give financially this morning. And trust that you will do amazing work of transformation in the lives of people in our own church community and off this hill and around the world through these gifts that we brought to you. We pray for for this time as we sit before you that you would bring transformation into us. You've brought us here for a reason this morning. We pray that you would slow us down, help us to rest, and help us to hear with open ears what you have for each of us this morning that you would speak through me, speak through your word, speak to us in a powerful way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two years ago, Pastor Mark Tyler invited me on a missions trip. And I've never, up to that point, been on a missions trip before, like not even to Mexico or a short-term or local trip or anything. And so I was about to dive in with both feet as he wanted to take me to a new place he had never been in Western Africa. And so I'm like, yes, I'm in, I'll do it. I'm up for the the challenge, for the adventure of the whole thing. And so I packed my bags. I told my family, I'll see you in a couple weeks, right? I went online. I bought every piece of travel gear imaginable, right? I wanted to be prepared. I got my passport. I got a 1,000 shots. I was ready. 
Woke up early in the morning, drove out to SFO, jumped on a plane, tried to sleep, figure out the jet lag thing. And before I knew it, we had landed at a layover in Western Europe. And I kind of got out of my seat. I was in this daze, like the what time is it, what continent is it kind of daze. And, and I walked into the airport and, and I looked around. And I don't know why this was a thought that I had, but as I heard the French being spoken and I saw the baguettes being sold and I smelled the chocolate in the air. I just had this this thought, we're in Paris now. Like we we woke up in Castro Valley and now I'm in Paris. Like how did that, it's like I teleported to Paris, right? And I was in this New world, and I know we didn't teleport. I know how airplanes work, right? But, but in that moment, it was, it was just like this whole whirlwind of time that was leading up to this moment. It's like, boom, we're in it, and there's no going back, right? That would be a very inappropriate time for me to tell Mark, you know what, I think I'm going to sit this trip out, right? We're in now. We're going through customs now. We're in a new continent now. We're flying down to Africa now. This is happening. And my heart started racing as I was thinking about the fact that we are here and adventure is in front of us. And who knows what will happen in the next two weeks. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you're about to start something new and you realize life is changing. You realize something's on the horizon. And it, it moves from scary to, okay, it's here. Let's, let's go. I believe strongly that God has placed in us a desire for adventure. That he's created us for that. That the reason that, that God has placed this desire in us is so that we might discover life on adventure in relationship with him. I think if you're a person who's always thinking about your next vacation, maybe it's because you hate your job. Or maybe it's because God has put in you a desire for adventure. If you're thinking about things that you want to create memories with your kids, you've got this desire to bring adventure to them. If you love going off into the woods, backpacking with buddies, you get this desire. If you love the beautiful scenery when you're in Yosemite or when you're in an airplane looking down at God's creation, there's something in you that draws you to the beauty of God's creation and embarking on adventure. A couple years ago, our cafe came out with these new mugs that said, let the adventure begin on the back. Have you seen these? And people kind of took this challenge to go around the world and post pictures with a Cafe Four mug, right? So when I was in Sierra Leone and Senegal, I had my mug in my backpack and I would take these pictures and try to make it look good on Instagram and never did, right? But I jumped on Instagram this week and I saw people who took this mug all over the place, right? I, I saw somebody, we got some pictures of him, Scott in Uganda, like he bought a mug right there and now he's in Uganda I mean, that's a, like a beautiful version of Lake Chabot, you know, where Scott was. <laughs> this woman, go back one. This woman started in Germany, flew to Castro Valley, bought a mug, flew to Maui, waited for the sun to go up or down, I don't know, and took that picture. The next one, Lindsay, who helps run our cafe here, she swam to the bottom of the sea took a picture. And this last one's my favorite. This is my sister, her birth or her pregnancy announcement. There's a sonogram. She's actually having her baby today. Don't tell anybody. That's a secret. Uh, but <laughs> she put that on Instagram. And then as I was looking at all these this week, I found this guy, Raymond, who he like took this to the next level. Like, let's look at Raymond's pictures. Raymond just makes me, he doesn't make me drool, but his pictures make me drool. There's Napa, Oakland, London, don't know, Paris, that's uh, Barcelona, don't know, 
Rome, don't know. Right, like this guy, whatever job Raymond has, I'm called to do this one. I'm called to do this one. But if I wasn't, I'd do that one. That, he's got that travel bug, right? He's got that adventure gene. And I believe that God has put that in him and in all of us. That there's something in us that longs to live a life of adventurous faith with God to do transforming things around the world. Now, the reason I bring this up this morning is because as I read the book of Acts chapter 1, I, I sense this desire for adventure coming out of the mouths and in the hearts of the apostles who stood with Jesus. You know, they had gone through a lot with Jesus. They walked with him for three years as he did miraculous things. They watched him die in front of their eyes. They saw him raised from the grave. And then Luke says that over the next 40 days, Jesus spent time with these apostles, gave them many Compelling proofs that he was alive. He did miracles. He, he got them to this place where they started sensing that something amazing was about to happen. Right? He had been talking about this idea of the kingdom coming around the whole earth through his whole ministry. And as Jesus got to this 40 days after the resurrection, the disciples were realizing that that moment was coming. That the next step in Jesus' ministry was to take this thing global, to take the gospel around the world. And so we see them ask Jesus specifically in verse 6. He says, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, is this the moment that you're going to go public with this thing? Is this the time when all heaven breaks loose around the globe, Lord? Is this the time that you're going to do it all? And Jesus looks back at the disciples and he says, not me, you. He says, it's not for you to know the times, the dates the Father set forth by his own authority, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. You're going to take this adventure and you're going to take it without me. And then Luke records that Jesus looked him in the eye, I think, and, and then started floating like Mary Poppins up into the air. And they were left there on the ground just watching him float away like a child's balloon until a cloud hid him from their sight. You know, the last several months I've spent thinking about what it must feel like to be a disciple watching your God float away. You know, what these guys are thinking is, <laughs> is this, they're about to watch Jesus do something amazing on the earth and then he disappears. And he disappears saying, you're going to do the amazing things. See ya. And Jesus had commissioned him in Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations and I will be with you always. And then he wasn't, right? Jesus told these disciples that he was gonna walk with them to change the world and then he vanished. And I picture them looking up in the sky and just thinking, now what? How are we supposed to live life without Jesus? How are we supposed to do ministry without Jesus? 
Was this like a, a last minute change in the plan here? Or is this how it's supposed to work? I guess he's leaving. Now what? It's interesting, as you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus actually was spending a lot of time trying to prepare the disciples for this very moment. John 14 and John 15 and John 16. If you want some homework this week, read through those. And you can see Jesus giving this speech to the disciples, trying to prepare them for the fact that someday he's going to leave. Someday he's going to go. He's going to go to prepare a place for them. He says, I'll be back someday, but I'm leaving. Trust me, I'm leaving. But he says something really bold in John 16, verse 7. He says, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good. And this kind of sounds like a parent who, like, tells the kids, like, listen, like, mama's going to go away for a while, but it's good for you, right? You're like, what? What is happening here? He says, it's for your good. A bold claim that Jesus makes is that life on earth will be better without him. And so the question I want to wrestle with this morning is, how is that possible? How is it possible, how can it be good that Jesus is not here? Because honestly, it doesn't feel good that Jesus is not here, right? Like when we think about the disciples walking with Jesus for three years, that seems better than this. Right? Wouldn't it be amazing if whenever you needed something from Jesus, you could just go to his office, right, and say, Hey, Jesus, real quick, um, should I marry this guy? It's real quick, right? <laughs> and Jesus, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about investing in this fund. Yeah, all right. And Jesus, I, I know this is a crazy time to buy a house, but should I, right? G Jesus, I, I really feel burdened for my neighbor to come to Christ. Could you come and tell them about yourself, right? I, I want, my, I want my family to meet you. Can you come over for dinner, right? Like that's, that seems better than this. But Jesus' vantage point was that life would be better when he was gone. My question that kind of sparked this whole series is, how can that possibly be true? Now, my first memory that I can recall, I guess that's what makes it a memory, was when I was four years old, I was living in Hayward, and my mom was working full-time, and so she dropped me off at a friend's house to play while she went to work, right? And I, I don't remember knowing this friend. Maybe my mom knew them. Maybe it was some stranger. I don't know, right? But she drops me off. My mom was nice. She didn't drop me off at strangers' houses. But she dropped me off at this person's house that I didn't know very well, and I'm hanging out, and at first I'm doing okay, right? Like, this is fun. They had this big wheel. Remember those? Like the yellow and red bikes with a big giant tire, and I'm like, ah! driving around as a little four-year-old or whatever, jetting around in their backyard. And in my memory, their backyard was like as big as the African savanna. Like it was acres of yard. It was probably like as big as the orchestra pit. But in my mind, it was huge. And I was going around and exploring and I was on my own. I was independent. I was loving every moment of it, right? And just like big wheeling around. And, and then all of a sudden I like stopped my big wheel. This is where my memory hits. And I was filled with this realization that my mom was gone. And I knew that was not okay. And so I did what every four, any four-year-old in his right mind would do at that moment. I just went, Aah! right, alone in this kid's backyard. I don't know where he was. I don't know where his mom was. But I'm in the backyard. It's, just crying, right? So the kid's mom runs out. Are you okay, Danny? What's going on? I was like, I want my mom. She's like, well, you're... 
Your mom's at work, but she'll be, I want her now, right? I was, sometimes you just got to speak to a manager, right? I want her now. <laughs> I want her back right now. This is what I need, right? And I remember distinctly just that emotion of, oh, where is she? Right, I get a glimpse of that now as a parent because now we have kids who cry when we leave. Sometimes. Sometimes they rejoice. But we, I drop off... In the mornings, I drop off. We have twins who are three. I drop them off at child or at uh, preschool in the morning. So I'll come and drop them off, and sometimes they just love it. They run right in, hug their teachers, go and play, high five, yay, great, right? Other days, no, no. I'm just like dragging them out of the car, They're like no, daddy, no, right? I'm like, what? What is wrong? Just go. You love it. Have fun, right? And I bring them in. No, and the teacher's like, how are they doing this morning? I'm like, they're not very excited to be here this morning, right? And, and I hand the girls over, and I'm like, okay, daddy's going to leave, right? And so they're like, no, daddy. I'm like, I'm out of here, right? And so then I run around the corner, and then this is kind of where it gets messed up. I watch them cry. And, and it's really cute and sad and funny. And, and sometimes I see them in the playground, and they're, like, looking over towards where my car is, and they're just hugging each other and crying. Just, oh, right? Do kids get scarred by that, or is that part of growth? I don't know. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that's how the disciples acted or felt when Jesus ascended into heaven. But what I notice as I read Acts chapter 1 is when an angel shows up to comfort the disciples, the angel says exactly what every child care worker says to every kid who's staring out the window looking for their mom. Right? I mean, he does say, why are you looking up into the heavens? That doesn't happen. But then he says... Why are you looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. In other words, why are you looking out the window? Your mom's coming back at the end of the day. Right? Yeah, you saw your mama drive away, but she's coming back. Just come and play, right? Disciples, why are you looking up into the sky? Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about it. He'll be back someday. Now come and ride on a big wheel or something. Come and play toys or something. And I, again, I don't know how the disciples felt. I know they were filled with awe, Luke says, that they were worshiping, Luke says. But, but I wonder if the angel's words were as ineffective to comfort the disciples as a preschool teacher's words are ineffective to comfort our children. Because in the moment when you're looking out the window and you're watching your parent drive down the street and you think you're being abandoned forever, you don't really care that they're coming back in six hours. You want them now. Right? And you want them now because life is better with them and you don't want them to leave. You don't want to hang out with this lady Right? You don't want to hang out and play with these dumb toys. You want to go hang out with your mom at home or with your dad at home, and you want to play there. It, the angel comes and says the exact same thing. Why are you staring into the sky? He's coming back. The same way you saw him leave, he's coming back. Go and play. Right? Have some fun. I think a lot of us feel like life on this planet is trying to stay busy and make the most of living life at like extended daycare while we wait for Jesus to come back, right? Like he was here, he changed our life, and now it's like, okay, now, now go live. And maybe he'll come back someday, right? Or, or when you die, then you'll see him, right? And so you're like, okay, so I guess I just wait to die, and then it's good. I just pray, Jesus, please come back because this world kind of stinks, 
right? It seems like Jesus leaving us is not good for us. It seems like what we really want is him to be here with us. So I can't imagine what the disciples must have been feeling when the one they thought was who, who was about to do amazing things vanished on them. And then the angel reinforces, he'll be back. Just go make the most of life without him. Now, if you've been trying to make the most of life without Jesus, that's no way to live, right? It's hard to be in a season when you feel like you pray and no one's there. It's hard to be in a season where you feel like you're going through the, the motions of religion, the motions of Christianity, where you're trying to go to church and be a good person and read your Bible and grow and find good Christian friends and you're doing all of that, but every once in a while that ache comes back to you like you're at childcare and your mom's gone or something and you're thinking, I just, I don't like this. I don't like making the most of life without Jesus. I want him back. I want him now. I want him here. And in those moments, it's hard to believe that this is what Jesus designed for us when he said, this is better than being with me. I don't know what the disciples felt, but we know what they did. They worship. They ponder what they just saw. And then they go back home. They go back to the upper room and they tell the other disciples and all the women who are there and they say, hey, here's what's going on. And I know we thought something big was happening and then he disappeared, right? And, and so they wait and they pray and they build community and they eat together. They mourn the loss of Judas who, who died. They replace him as an apostle. They do some kind of church administrative stuff and devote themselves to, to clinging to Jesus now that he's gone somehow and they devote themselves to each other and they just wait. And you know, I, as much as that's not as good as being with Jesus, I, I think it's important for us to know that, that waiting can be a beautiful thing. Right? There are seasons in life where our job is to wait on God. And that's not a season that we love, but it's a season that is beautiful. You know, like if you've ever had someone in your family pass away that you love dearly, and all the family comes in, and you sit around the table and you go through the... You go through all the different photo albums and you write the eulogy and you share the old stories. Like that's a, that's a beautiful season. It's not a season that you like. It's not one you want to repeat. It's one that you can't wait to be over. But in that moment, it is beautiful. It is beautiful to honor someone who's gone. It's beautiful to, to wait for a, a time of mourning to dissipate at some point. It's, it's good to cling to the Lord in a special way in times of discouragement. It's, waiting can be beautiful. But waiting can't be what Jesus meant when he said, it's better that I'm leaving. Because no matter how you spin it, life in the upper room without Jesus doing nothing and waiting pales in, compar in comparison to the amazing times they had with Jesus on Galilee or with Jesus in Jerusalem, or with Jesus after the resurrection, or with Jesus when he walked through the wall and said, I'm not a ghost, look, touch me, right? That was amazing. It's not waiting. So the question keeps coming back. What did Jesus mean when he said life would be better after he left? 
It was interesting, I always wonder what the disciples felt when they were there because they don't have context for any of this and we have the luxury of looking back with a full view. And so if you read John 14 and you read John 16, you hear Jesus trying to explain to the disciples, here's how it's going to work, I'm going to leave and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then Thomas says like, well, wait, what do you mean, where are you going? He's like, you know the way. It's like, I don't even know where you're going, right? And they're confused and he's trying to say, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. They're like, well, you're leaving. That makes us orphans, right? Like, what is happening, right? And the disciples are in this turmoil. They don't understand what's happening. But we read back into those verses and we see that Jesus was trying to help them understand something that they couldn't understand. That the reason that it was okay that Jesus was leaving was that someone else was coming. And we see that. We see that in all those verses when he talks about leaving. In John 16, 7, he says, It's good for you that I'm leaving, because unless you go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We see that in the book of Acts. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. He says in Acts 1.8, he says, when the ministry's on them, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus says, trust me, the reason that I'm not leaving you as orphans is because I'm just gonna be gone for a minute and then someone's gonna come who's just as much your father as me. Someone's gonna come who's just as much God as me. Someone's going to come who's just as distinct from the Father and distinct from me, but someone who's going to come who's just as God as me and the Father. A part of the Trinity is going to come and he's going to be with you in the same way that I was with you, but it's going to be better. Trust me. And I can see the disciples thinking, what? What does that mean? Who is this spirit and how is he coming and what's it going to look like when he gets here? And so as they're waiting for nine days, praying and clinging to each other, finally, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit shows up and they catch a glimpse of what Jesus is talking about. This is Acts 2, verse 1. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Something crazy is happening. God has shown up in a way that no one's ever seen before and the Holy Spirit has come on this community of believers and they're all sharing the wonders of God and every human being is hearing it in their native tongue and they're amazed and they don't know what to do with it. And then Peter, who denied Jesus, Peter, who thought he was unfit for ministry, Peter, that Jesus said, trust me, I have a great ministry for you, looks around and stands up in that moment and says, Let me tell you what happened here. 
And he walks them through the gospel. He walks them through the meaning of the spirit. He walks them through who Jesus was. He explains to them the miracle of what they're seeing before their eyes. And 3,000 people come to faith in that first sermon. I imagine Peter and the apostles looking at each other like, what just happened? (laughs) This is what Jesus meant when he said, trust me, life will get better, ministry will get better after I leave. Because when the disciples were walking with Jesus, it was amazing. But Jesus could only be in one place at one time. Right, so the disciples would be walking with Jesus and they'd encounter a blind man and Jesus would go and heal the blind man. They'd all be like, wow, that was amazing. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit can indwell Peter over here and Paul over there and, and uh, I don't know any other people's names in the Bible, right? Barnabas over there and Timothy over there, right? And, and Phoebe over there and all these different men and women in all these different places from Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and all the way to Rome. And God can be working simultaneously through them in miraculous ways all over the place. Like the, one of the things that Jesus lacked when he was on this planet was omnipresence. And yet when the Spirit came back and indwelt the believers, all of a sudden Jesus, through the person of the Spirit, could be in all places, in all times, through his people. It was better. One of the things that was better when the Spirit showed up was it used to be that people would walk around and watch Jesus move. Now when the Spirit shows up, Jesus gets to move through his people. And they realized that what he did on that ascension day was he walked up to his heavenly throne, sat down, and began to reign from that place. And he can command the elements from that place. He can move jail cells open from that place. He can change hearts from that place. He can give words to Peter from that place. He can send fire from that place. The spirit can leave from that place and indwell all the earth and work in all the people to change the world simultaneously, which was better than anything they had ever seen in their lives. Jesus says, it's for your good that I'm leaving because the Spirit is coming. And when he comes, the whole world will begin to change. Acts 1.8 becomes the synopsis of the whole book where we see that the Spirit comes to Jerusalem and the whole community transforms. And then it goes to Samaria and Judea and the whole community transforms. Then we see Paul taking the gospel to Rome and the ends of the earth and everything transforms on the way as the spirit lights fire and blazes throughout the entire ancient world as they knew it. Jesus says that. It's better that I'm leaving because this is your reality now. For those of us who know Jesus, that's the reality we live in. That we, We're not people who follow a list of rules when we know Jesus. We're people who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things for God by the power and work of the Spirit in us and through us to transform the people around us. That's, that's our lives now. And yet the conflict you might be thinking right now that I wrestle with and why we're embarking on this series is... My life doesn't look like that very often. It's very rare that I speak in strange tongues and people all come to faith around me. Right? It's rare that I see someone who can't walk and I just give them the ability to walk and say, hey, come on, follow Jesus with me, right? It's rare that I can walk into a place and a whole household gets saved. It's rare that I have those experiences and yet it seems like Jesus was saying, that's the life I have for you when you follow me. 
And so in this series, we're going to wrestle with how, how do we start to walk in that life that he created for us? You know, I sat down a couple weeks ago with a woman named Annie who is part of our church and had an experience back when she was in college where God spoke to her and, and told her that he wanted to le- her to leave everything and fly halfway across the world and, and go on mission for him in Ukraine. And Annie told me these crazy stories of how God had used her to walk into jails, pass the warden, and get on into the cell and minister to people. How God had used her to change the hearts of folks. How God had taken her on this crazy adventure. And I asked her at the end of our, our conversation together, I said, Annie, how do you live like that here? You know, like that's exciting in Eastern Europe, right, when you're a missionary, but how do you live like that here? And, and so I wanted you to catch a glimpse. This is from our podcast that's coming out this week. I wanted you to see what, what Annie said when we started talking about how we might live on mission with Jesus here in the States. This is Annie Wilson. How do you live in relationship with God speaking? Is it like you're on call like a fireman or are you like out on patrol looking for God working? I think that's the privilege of being in Ukraine is that I kind of was on call, that my day wasn't as planned out. Obviously, as far as I understand, people here would like for me to show up to work and do certain things, right? There's things to Mm -hmm. plan, but it's also that sense of how do I slow myself down enough to, to actually listen to him rather than just get the tasks done, go home, go through the routine. And that routine sometimes I think gets in the way because when God throws that curveball, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. But I've got to be here and I've got to do this. And yeah, trying to figure out how you navigate that. It sounds like you kind of figured out the secret of how to do that in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Have you figured out the secret in America yet? Not quite yet. What, uh, how long have you been back? Three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. How, long did it, how, how long did it take you to figure it out in Ukraine? Like two seconds. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it felt like from the get-go, it was like, all right, I'm only here for this. I have no what? other things yeah. I have to do but to serve Christ. Like, but isn't that what it's supposed to be every day? Right? Like I'm on earth to serve Christ. Mm-hmm. But there, that was truly like my job. And that's kind of, I think that's probably the tension is there's that wrestling match with like, I feel like we're supposed to live like this, but we don't. And I think it's probably worth all of us wrestling and, and spending time with, how, how do we? Like, how can we do that? Do we have to go across the world to live like a missionary? Or is it really possible to live a dynamic, powerful, world-changing life with the Spirit just in our normal lives? And that's the question we're going to devote ourselves to for the next four weeks after this is, How do we cultivate a life on mission with the Spirit of God here in the East Bay today? We can put the uh, question on the screen there. How how can we do it? How can we do it? If you want to write that down and resonate with that this week, meditate on it, or just come back next week. Next week we're going to talk about how we can step out in faith in boldness and see the Spirit begin to work through us in our own lives. After that, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare a little bit. What does it mean to take the Spirit of God into a place filled with darkness and oppression? We're going to talk about our own life missions on the week after that and what happens when the Spirit starts giving us a burden for something specific He wants us to go after. And then we're going to close our series the first weekend of September talking about 
how can we create these lives where we're on this adventure with God and, and we never look back? So, so come back the next four weeks. We're going to talk about how we can start to walk in this concept we've discovered this morning. And in the meantime, if you are someone who maybe this whole thing is new to you, I would love you to take a moment, even before you leave today, and ask yourself what your relationship with God is like. I think for a lot of us, we feel like our relationship with God is just these list of rules we're trying to keep up or routines that we do or being a good person, all that. And this whole idea of a life on mission in relationship with Christ and the spirit for the glory of the Father is totally new to you. Let this be the day that you kind of relax your idea of what it means to follow Jesus and you come to terms with what Jesus wants with you is a relationship. That he wants you to let go of trying to be good and he wants to make you good because he died for your sins and he will forgive them all. That Jesus wants you to stop trying to build a new life for yourself and he wants to craft a new life in you and through you as you surrender to him. And so before you embark on this series with us to start discovering how to walk with Jesus and with his spirit, why don't you take a moment this morning and ask Jesus to transform your life from the first time and, and come in and change you. And we're going to partake in the communion meal in a moment. And for us as believers, that's a great time to remember that our lives are all about abiding in Christ, clinging to Jesus. That in that passage where Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand how to live without him, right in the middle of John 14 and 16, in John 15, Jesus says, here's the secret. Abide in me. Cling to me. Rest in me. Live with me and fruit will come out of your life. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Cling to me to dear life. So for those of us who are Christians as we receive communion this morning, it's a time for us to remember that we find life by clinging to Jesus. And if you don't know Christ this morning, let this be a time where maybe you surrender the reins of your own life and cling to him for the first time. Let me pray for us and then we'll receive communion together.